This is the Black Hole Podcast with host Ryan Millsap. With a vision of how real estate could turn into movies and how movies could turn into money, Millsap set out to build the state's largest film complex. After checking that box, Millsap returned to his entrepreneurial roots, where real estate ventures, entertainment opportunities, nonprofit support, and golf course business deals rule the day. What's next for Ryan Millsap? Listen up, and you'll find out. Isaac Lee Hayes III, also known as Ike Dirty, is an Atlanta record producer, voice actor, and entrepreneur who has a name that sounds familiar to everyone. He's the son of soul icon and Academy Award winner for the Shaft soundtrack, Isaac Hayes. Hailed as one of Atlanta's top entrepreneurs, Ike Dirty dove into music production and soon found himself in the tech space. Launching his baby, Fanbase, in 2019, Hayes developed an app that offers a creative platform that financially rewards black artists. The goal? Build wealth in the black community. His saying? Financial freedom is the new black. Let's find out more. Welcome, Isaac Hayes III. Isaac, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Do you want me to call you Isaac or do you want me to call you Dirty Ike? No, Isaac's fine. Isaac's fine. <laughs> Ike Dirty, that's my, oh, that's that's my right. old producer name. <laughs> that's right. Dirty Ike or Ike Dirty. Ike Dirty. Ike Dirty. <laughs> yeah. That's a great name. Hey, man, I had, to, I had to have my own persona as a producer. Yeah. How, did you make it up yourself or somebody give you that name? Somebody gave me that name. Um, this, this dude from New York named Old Man. It's funny that was his nickname, but he was like, "You're you're you're from the dirty South. Oh. You're Ike Dirty." Mm. And everybody just started calling me Dirty, and I was like, "Okay." Why do you think the South is called Dirty? I think because of the red clay. You think it's purely like geographical? Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's that, that geological. Yeah, so the Dirty South. So yeah, so that 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 red clay that doesn't get out of your clothes. You know, that's true. It's it's your sneakers get messed up one time, they're done. Done. It's over with. It's over with. <laughs> the dirty South. Absolutely. Did you grow up here? Yeah. What part of town? Buckhead. In Buckhead. Primarily. Yeah, I moved to Atlanta when I was three. What so, part of Buckhead do you live in? West Paces Ferry. Come on. Yeah, we used to live right next to Pace Academy. Yeah. Like, beautiful area. Oh yeah. I'm Gorgeous. going back. I'm going back one day. I live in, I live over over uh, like Chamblee Brookhaven now, but I said I'm coming back. I'm actually I'm trying to get go back to Buckhead in the next year. I want to buy a nice piece of property over there. What? Uh, where'd you go to school? High school? Uh, North Side, North Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So close by. Oh yeah. And then did you go into college? No, I I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And so I had two. I said there's two things that I wanted to do. I either wanted to get into the music industry. Or I wanted to get into the gaming industry, and because I used to play a lot of video games, I still do, which is cool. But um, so I got a job working at. If anybody remembers, it's from Atlanta, a place called the Linen Loft. And, um, and what was the Linen Loft? So Linen Loft was Bed Bath and Beyond before Bed Bath and Beyond. It was okay, mobile. okay. So I worked in the back in the warehouse, um, and used to take this grueling 
uh, bus ride and, and train ride to, to work way up there, Amweiler Industrial, Peachtree Industrial, every day from, from Ponce de Leon. So it was a huge, uh, a huge trek to work every day. Now, your dad worked in the entertainment industry, right? Yeah. What did he, he do? So my father is a legendary songwriter, producer named Isaac Hayes. And so Isaac Hayes um, was born in Covington, Tennessee in Memphis, became a songwriter at Stax Records, went on to write amazing songs like Hold On, I'm Coming and Soul Man with Sam and Dave and just so many classic records. And then he transitioned into a solo artist around 1969 and put out this album called Hot Buttered Soul that kind of changed music. And so um, he was the, the, the man that kind of merged the sound of Motown with the sound of the South. So he started putting strings and flutes and oboes over top of this really heavy soul music and uh, went on to uh, score this movie called Shaft. And a little thing called Shaft. Won an Academy Award, uh, the first African-American man to win an Academy Award for a musical composition um, in 72, um, made history. And then, um, you know, various other amazing things like being the voice of Chef on South Park and all this other cool stuff. Is he still alive? No. Passed away in 2008. Okay. Um, but, you know, I manage his estate now. Okay. And um, and that's that's pretty pretty interesting because my dad left this enormous amount of music and copyrights to manage, you know, because the sampling is such a big thing, so people continue to sample his music and make new records and that kind of stuff. You have brothers and sisters? A lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah, my dad was married four times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot like five or a lot like 20? I've had 11 other brothers and sisters. Oh, my goodness. No, 10 other, I'm sorry, 10. And, and where do you fit in the chain of? I am the third to the youngest. Third to the youngest. I have a 16-year-old okay. brother. Okay. So, get, and my oldest yeah. sister is in her, like, late 50s. I was going to say, so yeah. So your dad, when he passed in 2008, was or was he in the 70s, 80s? No, he was He was actually very young, 65. Oh, that's 65. so young. Yeah, su super young, 65. Mm. Um, my little brother was three. Um, but, yeah, but he, like I said, he had children at a very young age and a very old age. Yeah. So he left quite a legacy. Well, he, he sounds like a real character. Oh, yeah. So he, he clearly was a music entrepreneur. Yes. And did you think about entrepreneurship growing up? Absolutely. You did? Oh, yeah. I, well, okay, so I have this, this problem with authority. So I knew that I, I wasn't, that. wasn't going to make it in the workplace. I'm, I'm the same way. And after, after two years at the Linen Loft, shelving pallets and stocking stuff, I was like, okay, I quit my job in 96. And I said, there's two things that I want. Um, I said, I never want to work for another person again. And I never want to ride public transportation. And I haven't done either. Either since. one. So I've not been on MARTA since 1996. <laughs> and I haven't had a boss since 1996. Well, you know what? When you set goals. Yeah. They're easier to achieve. Limitations. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in... I'm a big believer in doing the reverse of what society teaches you, which is society incorrectly teaches you to party on the front end of life, so you have to work hard on the back end. And I'm more like, you work hard on the front end of life, so you party hard on the back end. I agree so, with that. At my age now, I get to wear tennis shoes and T-shirts and play <laughs> video games and build apps and, you know, just do what I want. And I'm my own boss. And there was a lot of sacrifice that happened 
you know, those first probably 10 or 15 years of figuring it out. So, I understand that too. Yeah. So tell me about the entrepreneurial journey. You, you haven't had a boss since 96. Mm-hmm. So what, what was the first thing you did to not have a boss? I learned how to engineer. So I wanted to produce. So I made the decision that I want to produce, but I learned how to engineer. And I've always been like an odd job kind of guy. So um, as I started producing, I always made myself an asset to a facility mm-hmm. that I can make money. So I was like, hey, if I know how to engineer, I'm in a studio. Right. So if I'm there, then I can make beats when people are not around. Yeah. And I learned how to manage studios. So I did, you know, my, my college was just learning how to make records probably from 96 to 2000. Mm-hmm. And then by 2000, I started professionally producing. But I had built relationships that allowed me to, um, uh, you know, pay my bills because I had a, a roommate, which is funny because, and I put that pressure on us when we, we got an apartment and when we moved out, when we moved into the apartment, we only had the first month's rent. But I'm gonna tell you how long ago this was. Rent, I feel like, I feel like rent was, I want to say rent was like 825. We were talking about this earlier. I, think, I feel like rent was like 825 in the year, like 2000 something. Yeah, if you were paying 825, that was a nice apartment. Yeah, it was like a two bedroom, a two bedroom apartment. In, in a good Vinings. location. In it was Vinings. in Vinings, right. Two bedrooms, 825 a month, man. I was like, we Today, it. that's minimum 2000, maybe 2500. 20, right. Right. It's so crazy. It's so unfair. Yeah. It's terrible. So yeah, um so yeah, I learned how to learn how to uh engineer and then someone my attorney at the time that, that I was a producer said, "Hey, you should try voiceover." I was like, mm, mm. that's another hustle." I don't know what would give them that idea. Yeah, I know. You have a great but voice. I had, this, I had this deep voice or whatever, so I remember burning this CD. I made like five little 15-second commercials of various you know, timbers and types of energy. And then I left it sitting on my production desk for like a year. I didn't touch it. And one day he's like, let me take it over to the people store. I'm telling you. And then I, he took it over to the people store and um, I booked like the four out of the first five gigs that I auditioned for. And I just started doing voiceover. So it was another hustle. Another side. So I just had like. The, side way to make money without a boss. Man. I, and then I, and then, then I, bought a laptop and figured out how to use Photoshop. So then people are like, oh, I'm throwing a party at a club. Can you make me a flyer? I learned how to do that. So I've always just been the guy that wanted to, you know, hustle. We were in the studio and then this is when burning CDs was good. So we had CD towers where you could burn like, you know, eight CDs. We had two mm-hmm. towers. So this is when people were putting out mixtapes. So I was like, oh, we can burn your CDs too. So I would burn CDs. I would do voiceover. I would engineer to pay the bills. Yeah, but no boss. No boss. Felt good every day waking Absolutely. up. Absolutely. There's nothing like having no no economic authority over you. Yeah. The only thing that the only thing that is difficult, and my mom used to tell me this about entrepreneurship all the time, is like everybody can't be an entrepreneur. True. Because as as tedious because because people would always say, Oh, making records is easy. What you do producing is easy. And I'm like, no, and I wouldn't say I wouldn't say what you do, what they do is easy. But in my mind, my mom used to tell me like, you if you do exactly what someone tells you to do every day, you'll get your check. But for you to sit down in front of a keyboard and a drum machine and pull notes 
and melodies out of the air and then manifest that into some sort of song, then hand that song to another person who has to write a song over top of that and it'd be good enough that a record company wants to buy it, then they want to put money behind it and then you finally make your money? Nah, that's hard. Yeah, you only get paid for producing. Yeah. That's, you know, and, and well, I mean, and, and songwriting, but it's like, it's, it's so many variables. Not by, pro- I didn't mean producing like in a musical sense. I just mean, yeah, you only creation. get paid for actually creating something of value. Absolutely. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship is that you get to eat what you kill. Absolutely. And do it while, and that's why I say do it while you're young. Like I didn't have no girlfriend. I didn't have no car. You know what I'm saying? It was you just, kept it lean and mean. Absolutely, but it was it was the best thing ever. I just, it just allowed me to remain focused, and so everybody else was like, they went to college, they had cars, they were partying, and then like I, I look, I fast forward, I look at my Facebook page, and it's like, nah, man, life beat y'all down. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All my classmates got gray hair, and they wear like knit shirts all the time, and you know they put on a few extra pounds, and it's just like, what? Like you know. And no, no shade, but I just think that that people, I've, I always had this inclination in my mind that I didn't, I don't trust what people tell me. And I tell everybody to question everything. As you should, man. Like, you know, we live our lives by a set of rules, traditions, and, and, and customs that no one can tell us where they come from, but we stick to them. Mm. You know, someone says, like, why are you wearing white after Labor Day? I give a shoes. Look at this shit about that. I'll wear whatever I want to wear. That's right. After Labor Day. Who cares? Like who ma- first thing I say is who made that up? Who made that Where's up? Where's that? Where's that in the Bible? That you don't wear white after Labor Day. You know, like, so I'm gonna wear what I want to wear. I'm gonna do what I want to do. And who edited the Bible you're reading? Yeah, exactly. That's mm-hmm. the and that's the question. What version are you are you into? Mm-hmm. So I just say question everything. Make your own set Did of you rules. but you never studied philosophy formally? No. You just these are just life lessons that you gathered from your own life experience. Yeah. I have these like metaphors and analogies that I create, right? So there's two, right? I, I kind of psychoanalyze everything I possibly can. I'm a Gemini, which is really weird. We're very. What's that birthday? June 10th. Mine's June 10th. So we're very, very cerebral. Mm-hmm. All the best rappers of all, most like like six of the top 10 greatest rappers of all time are Geminis. Mm. So it's just very analytical. But I, I, I psychoanalyze people in the ways that they live their lives, right? So I ask people, do you park? Like when you park, do you pull in or do you back in? Mm-hmm. That's a psychological test. Tell me, tell me what you learned by that answer. So if you park in, you want to, again, you're doing the easy work first. It's harder to back out. Mm-hmm. But if you back in first, you do the hard part first. And then when you're ready to leave, you just pull off. True. So it's like, oh, so I just back in. It's like, I'd rather get that out of the way. So when I'm ready to leave, I just hop in the car and I go. Plus your license plate is hidden when you back in. Well, yeah, that's too, true too. And then I, and then I, 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 I say... Like for people that eat crab legs, I was like, how do you eat your crab legs? Mm. And people say, well, I crack, you know, I crack the crab leg, I dip it in butter and eat it. And I said, I don't eat my crab legs like that. I said, I crack all my crab legs. You get a giant pile of crab. And then you feast. So do all the work first and then you feast. So it's just, that's, that's just how I think about it. How do you know when you have enough crab in the pile to begin? I mean, if you, if you take the whole pile. Whatever's in front of you. <laughs> you crack them all. Crack them all. And just say, hey, this is it. <laughs> Throw it in the microwave for like 15 seconds, pour some butter on it, and you're good to go. You're good to go. Okay, so then tell me about another entrepreneurial venture after music. Like um, what? what uh, have, have you started companies before you started Fanbase? So Shark Control is my production company, and, and Ike Father. It's called Shark Control? Shark. 
It's like C-H-A-R-T. Chart. Chart Control. Control. Okay. Was my production company. And then my publishing company was that. And and so the next business that I, well, I wouldn't say a business that I started, but I learned that you can uh, license your music. So as, so, so as opposed to selling mm-hmm. records to artists, I happened to uh, license a lot of music to this movie for this movie called ATL. It was T.I., it was about Atlanta. And so I ended up licensing like eight songs in the movie and I made like $80,000, right? And I was like, this is the most money I've ever made at one time. And, I, and, it, and all it was was permission to use my music. And so I didn't stay like actively producing in the music industry for very, very long. I started to lean towards into licensing because it became something that was automated. There was no competitive factor. It was just like, hey, we got this reality show, we got this TV show, this beat sounds good, we're gonna put it in there, and then once it plays on TV, you get paid like that. So it's mailbox money. And every time it gets paid on, that played on TV, so, you get paid again. So I tell people like, if you know, like every reality show has about 40 cues of music. So if you get two or three songs in that show, then you're making like $6, you know, per episode, but then they run that episode 18 times a week. You know, yeah. they run Love and Hip Hop at eight and then 10 and then 12 or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So you're just, you know, getting all this money and then you're on multiple shows. So you're on um, uh, uh, Guy Code on MTV and you're on ESPN and you're on all these other places. Then you just go to the mailbox and it's like, I made like $40,000 this quarter. Yeah. So you bring it on $30,000, $40,000 a quarter. And as a producer, now I can like, pursue passions because my bills are paid. That's right. I'm not chasing to get on. It's not glamorous. Yeah. It's not glamorous, but I just, all I care about is putting the money in the bank and being able to continue to pursue my dreams and take yeah, risks. You, yeah, you want to be able to wear t-shirts and tennis shoes. Yeah. And get that. That's the that's the new wealth. Absolutely. Less is more. Mm-hmm. So then tell me about the idea behind Fanbase and where, where that uh, company is at today. So Fanbase came from a very genuine place. I've been on social media, you know, I had hated on every single social media platform that came out except Instagram. When I first saw Instagram, the first thing that I said is this is going to kill the website because I don't have to go to like Bleacher Report or I don't have to go to World Star or whatever. It's all in a feed and then my friends are there and some pretty girls are there and there's some funny videos there and I was like, oh yeah, boom. It's mostly funny videos and pretty girls. Right. Well, depending on the algorithm. (laughs) <laughs> you know these apps, these apps. These apps tend to give you what you what you what you instinctively hover over the most, or whatever, with these algorithms. So um, well, let's not talk about my algorithm then. I, I no, because my algorithm is just pretty girls and like pet videos. <laughs> pet ass, like, no, you get tons I, of pet videos and comic, too, and like anything like Marvel, and mm-hmm. I see all that stuff on there all the time. Star Wars, so. Um, so this kid from Memphis. They need to add that to my algorithm. I don't see any of that stuff. You just got to look at it a little bit. Just start yeah, looking at a few videos. It'll start changing. There you go. So, <laughs> so this kid from Memphis goes by the name of Ghetto Spider, and he went viral. That's a pretty sick name. Yeah, he went he went viral for dancing in a Spider-Man costume in a GameStop to Aha Take on Me, and over the course of the weekend, I think he got three hundred thousand followers like on social media. And he was just, he. this is the most random thing ever. So he's from Memphis. I'm from Memphis. I just shot him a DM that says, congrats, young Memphis. That's all I said. And he goes, are you a manager? And I go, no. And he goes, I need a manager. And I said, okay, he's like, I really need a manager. And I said, well, 
see me your number, or, and I said, well, maybe we can meet. He goes, do you want me to come to Atlanta or you can have my number? I said, just send me your number and, you know, let me think about, like, how I can help you and then I'll call you back. And that was March of 2018. I didn't call him again until December of 2018. So I left that conversation. I was like, man, this kid is having the moment of his life, but he doesn't own Spider-Man. So anytime Marvel and Disney want to shut that shit down, they can say, stop using our IP. But I said, he can really dance. I said, you know what? People need to be able to subscribe to him like you subscribe to Netflix. Like people need to be able to subscribe to other people in a, in a, in, in a platform, right? And then that was the idea for Fanbase. And I was like, okay, I got to build this thing. So um, I took $200,000 of my music royalties. and Big investment. Yeah. And I'm... My attorney at the time, I had initially, I had initially had somebody helping me that kind of left me in the lurch. And there's this, this really cool um, membership club called the Gathering Spot here in Atlanta. And I met three of my friends that I that are there all in the tech, like uh, Jewel Burks, Barry Givens, and Justin Dawkins. And Jewel sold her company to Amazon called Part Pick. Um, she exited, and Justin works for Google and Barry. Uh, was at Techstars or was at Techstars. And so they were my first mentors in tech. Tell them you got to have a CTO. You can't, like, don't don't just go to India and have somebody build your app and they have to be, like, connected and they have to have equity and all these things and I'm learning about all this stuff. So I, you know, I interviewed a couple of potential developers and then my attorney, Drew, um, says, hey, this guy I know, he built this really cool website for our movie. He has a development company. Um, you want me to introduce you to him? And I say, yeah, his name's Ramiro. He says, the cool thing about it is, like, he lives in Atlanta, Georgia, but all the team is in Argentina. So it's going to cut the cost in what you're going to build down by, like, a third or two-thirds. I so, thought he was going to say, so you get to go visit Argentina. No, 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 but, but, but I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to save some money. So I met with Ramiro, and we immediately clicked, and I told him my ideas, and he's like, okay, we can do that. And the thing that I love about, Romero and the team at Fanbase is, is that they, they're hungry like, oh, we want to show y'all that we can build as well as Facebook. We can, we can code as well as Instagram. And so they're very, very hungry. And so we built Fanbase from July to December 2018. And then I didn't tell anybody I built it and I left it alone. I touched, I just put it up on the app store and didn't tell anybody. And I had a, an initial goal to never ever be the face of the company. And my thought behind that was, as a black founder, I just wanted the tech to remain colorless and just be an app. Mm -hmm. And so I left it up for a, a year because I knew if I ever went to raise money, and I said, hey, like, how did you get these people on the app? Oh, well, I told my friends, well, you're Isaac Hayes III and your friends joined the app. That's not real data. So I, I always look for, like, I don't want anybody to tell me no. That's right. So I was like, all right, cool. So I left it up. We got to about 10,000 users in a year. Just by leaving it up. Just no marketing. No marketing, nothing. And what are they doing with it, like, but at the time? So, it's all totally self-governing? Yeah, so they just so they, they treat it kind of like Instagram. You just make content, and then you can put content behind paywalls, and people subscribe to see that. But then you, you use it only on fan base, or does it apply to other? Can they no. use TikTok and no, Instagram? It's, it's its own platform. It's its own platform. It's, its, own it's platform. like a separate thing it's separate. like TikTok or, or Instagram. Instagram. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the Frankenstein of apps. Yeah. And the reason why is because I'd give, I, I wanted to give users as many tools, like whatever your niche is, yeah. 
um, to do that initially. So we did, so we just had photos and videos, long form content, up to one hour, right? Which is like turning you into your own Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. And then we had stories, and then we had live, right? Mm-hmm. And so the two things that we didn't have were audio and short form video. Mm-hmm. So now, fast forward to twenty twenty. Well, I was like, all right, I'll have 10,000 users. And one user made about $6,000 in a year off of 10,000 users. Yeah. Okay, now I have a proof of concept. Yeah. I have proven that people will pay to subscribe to other people. Yeah, that's right. And this is like a year after OnlyFans came out. I was out. just going to say, wait a minute. The, <laughs> no, <laughs> OnlyFans, OnlyFans was out. Was out, out but, but you didn't know about OnlyFans when you built this. I knew I knew about OnlyFans, but what I two things that I knew about OnlyFans. It was heavily pornographic. Yes. And it was not the mechanism in which you actually made purchases was cumbersome. I mm. wanted to do in-app purchase subscription. Right. And so when we first built it, I thought we were done before we started because Fanbase was the first native application to allow a user to subscribe to another user via an in-app purchase. Is Fanbase non-pornographic? Yes. So it's not you, you can't use it for pornographic no. if you want. Because you're cutting because because the bigger play is going to be brands. The bigger play is going to be I subscribe to individuals and brands. So um I was going to raise money, and then COVID came, shocked us all. We're all inside, and a friend of mine suggested, you need to equity crowdfund. And I was like, and, and what had happened was we couldn't move, and then George Floyd happened, and all of a sudden black founders were like, we want to support black founders. So I applied for this platform called Start Engine that takes advantage of the Reg CF regulation, the Jobs mm-hmm. Act, mm-hmm. that allows me to have unaccredited investors to invest in fan base. Mm-hmm. And so I got accepted. We launched like the day, like I feel like we launched like right before the election, like the weekend before the election in November. But I wound up raising a million dollars in three weeks. Great. And then how much of the company did they get for a million bucks? So I valued the company at twenty million. Mm-hmm. And then the so they bought five percent. Yeah, and then the and then the SEC um, up the regulation that you could raise up to 5 million. And I had a, I had a wait list of about another 2 million people. So we relaunched in April and I raised, I, I went up raising $3.4 million. Good for you. So we closed that round. And, All at that same $20 million valuation. Yeah. And so, and so then from there, I was on a platform called Clubhouse in the fall. Everybody knows about Clubhouse, but I was on there when there were like 5,000 people. So I manipulated Clubhouse to the benefit of myself which was that there weren't a lot of black people on Clubhouse when I got there. And one of the things that in Clubhouse was invite only. So I said, I'm going to start inviting all the African-American entertainment community on Clubhouse. And what's going to happen is they're going to get here and they're going to complain that we're about to do the same thing that we always do, which is blow up another Instagram and not have a piece of it. <laughs> and I'm sitting here rubbing, yeah. and you can't tell that you're, you can't announce that you're raising money to your raise yeah. live. It's illegal. Yeah. So I'm rubbing my hands together like Birdman, like, yeah, get on here and complain. And then as soon as the raise launches, I'm like, guess what? You can invest in this app called Fanbase, like, put your money where your mouth is, boom. And so that first, um, you know, large swath of investment, probably twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 when I first started, came off a of clubhouse. And then what happened is everybody, it, it got super crazy, and everybody started, all the entertainers started coming over. So Clubhouse went from 5,000 users to a million users by January. And then at that point, um, everybody wanted to invest in Clubhouse. And so the first million users were asking, hey, can we invest in, in Clubhouse? And they were like, no. 
and they went and raised $100 million at a billion-dollar valuation. Yeah. So I said, we got to build audio in the fan base. Because I was like, I'll launch another round and say, we got audio over here. So if they won't let you own a part of the company, I'll let you own a part of the company with audio. And we did that. And so then... Um, so so then we added more functionality and continue to build. I, I did a second round. Was Clubhouse not a black entrepreneur? Who is I don't know. No, so like- so 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 um, Clubhouse is Paul and Rohan, um, and so Paul Anderson and Rohan Seth, so um, white guy, Indian guy, mm-hmm. and, and they so, from Palo Alto. Uh, they they had another. I think they came from Pinterest. I think they they had started. They had come from somewhere else. But San Francisco. Yeah, and so the 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 black culture on on Clubhouse really elevated the platform because what would happen is celebrities would come on Clubhouse and then they would get recorded like somebody would screen record the room then put it on YouTube and then it would start trending on Twitter and then everybody like man I got to get over to Clubhouse to see what's going on who's arguing who's whatever whatever and so that's how um I wanted people to to be able to actually you know, have the chance to own audio. So I was like, oh, we can build that. And, and I said, hey, can we do audio? And he's like, Ramiro's like, I can build that. Every time I ask them something, they're like, we can do it. And they do it. And it's incredible. So now you have an app that has the functionality of an Instagram, a YouTube, a clubhouse. And then we added short form video like TikTok. So it's all in their stories. It's all in this, but it's all monetized mm-hmm. through subscription. Mm-hmm. And so that- How many, how many, um, Users today, we have two hundred seventy-five thousand users and about fifty-two thousand monthly actives. Wow! And no marketing spin yet because I did a second. I did a second raise where I raised two point three million, and I just launched my third start engine campaign on Friday. What's that valuation? So that valuation now is eighty-five million. Wow! So we went from twenty to fifty to eighty-five, and I'm raising two point. Um, so 2. on, on paper, million. you're worth over fifty million today. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So. So now we want we want to go for Series A because you have to scale these companies fast. You mm-hmm. got to be able to, you know, it's like Brewster's Millions. Like, mm-hmm. all right, I could keep raising money this way, but I have to raise large amounts of money to scale fast, to scale the company. And every other platform, even outside of like, and I, and I, and I do take credit for this because there were, like Apple would not let us do what I wanted to do initially with subscriptions. And they said no. And, and having it in a, and then in this process with Ramiro, I left this part out. Ramiro and his company have been in business for ten years, and Ramiro was like, "Hey, we want to invest in fan base." First time they ever did that. They were like, "We built does that, but this right here, we went in on this because we think this is special." So I knew that I needed to have a CTO to actually have skin in the game. So I was I was happy that he asked. I didn't have to ask him. He yeah. wanted to, mm-hmm. and so he was invested in the platform. And so having a smart CTO, a brilliant CTO like Ramiro, when Apple told us no. He was like, that's good. Because that means if they're telling you no, we're about to do something that hasn't been done before. If <laughs> Apple and Google are saying, you can't do that, we can find a way to get around that by, their, by, the, by, the, by the limitations that they've set. And we did that. So typically when you subscribe to like Netflix or um, like Spotify, Apple creates something for you called a subscription profile. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're not letting you build an app where someone could subscribe to 100 people In, yeah. and we have to keep up with 100 profiles and you want it with 100 million users and we got billions of subscription yeah, profiles right. we have to keep up with. That's right. So we created this tier system where you can subscribe to one person, that's a yeah. profile, three people, that's a profile, or five people, that's a profile. Uh-huh. So it's just three three individual profiles and we did that. Lo and behold, we hear that Instagram 
is doing this thing called fan clubs. We're called fan base. Oh, wow. And they're about to try to do subscriptions. And we went to Apple and said, how are you letting them do this? And they go, oh, well, Apple has changed their, we've changed their tune on how we view subscriptions. I was like, I bet. I bet you have. I bet you have. Because you started running the numbers and was like, all right, boom. I think that that this is going to be something that that's the future. So we we actually were able to build a very um, a very easy like quick subscription model that I like to show people like it's this easy to subscribe to somebody on Fanbase. So if I just want to subscribe, I just tap that button mm -hmm. and I hit subscribe. As soon as it lets me do it, if, oh let me get off this Wi-Fi. But as soon as it allows you to do it, I can do that and then do it with a double click. That's it. I'm subscribed. That's great. So that's very, very fast in the way that you can subscribe. That's faster than Patreon. That's faster. Only I don't have to go on my wallet and pull out my credit card and move the CVV mm. and all that. I just double click and I'm subscribed. So the amount of and so I might have I might be subscribed to ten things on fan base. Yeah, you might be able to subscribe to to like ten or fifteen people. So mm -hmm. typically on the platform, like there's content that's put behind paywalls. So mm -hmm. all this is free content, right? Right. And then someone might put something behind a paywall. And when it's behind a paywall, you have to actually, um, you actually, you have to actually, um, hold on, let me mute this. You have to actually um, subscribe to see it. So it'll be, it'll be hidden. Yep. And then you'll see, let me find something real quick. I was like, usually we put them every certain amount of posts. So right here. Uh -huh. So my friend Jen. So I was like, okay, Jen, if I want to, I can unlock it using love. So I can use this virtual currency to unlock one post. And she gets money if I do that. But if not, I can hit the subscribe button and subscribe to Jen to get that. And so the, the post that you want to see. How do I know if I want to see? Yeah, how do I know if I want to subscribe? I can't see anything. Well, you just, that's it. But I can unlock one at a time. Oh, you can unlock one at a time. So I was like, okay, let me unlock one. For and like see. 50 cents or something. What's yeah. it? Well, what, yeah, what, how much so is it? 100 love. So you're paying a dollar. A dollar. Got it. gets 50 cents. Yeah, okay. And so they're able to do that. And so. Here's my revenue profile for mm -hmm. the month. I've made 118 bucks so far this month. This is just on your... Just on my fan base. Uh -huh. And so I have 16 subscribers, 47,000 followers. Uh -huh. I have long-form content. So any content that um, I think of that's kind of like... Um, the, be the best way that I can explain it is... Um, the best way I can explain it is like, this is your YouTube. This is your Netflix. Yeah, I understand. So you can put a TV show, a reality show, a podcast, yeah, whatever, whatever behind a paywall. And so... So what I call what I'm calling fan base is the first microcast social network. And say, what is microcasting? And it's a word that I trademarked. I said, let me trademark this word because I think microcasting. Yeah, microcast. That's amazing. And so, um, and the reason is why is that really not used? Like, do you have the trademark on it now? For 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 the specific function of what it does, I've trademarked microcast. Okay. And so there's two other. There's Has anybody tried to ask you to use it or pay you to use it? Not or? yet. I just okay. did it. I just did it because I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So. So when you think of broadcast, mm -hmm. right, those are like large cable networks, uh -huh. Xfinity, Comcast, Dish yeah. Network, DirecTV, right? Yep. So a large subscriber-based channels with hundreds of shows on each that, you know, each, each, each channel, right? And then we've moved in the last 10 or 15 years to the narrowcast era, which is Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, you know, HBO Max, and so on and so forth. But narrowcasting is, I mean, I'm sorry, microcasting is direct to personal brand subscription. So I subscribe person to, to person. I subscribe to the Lakers. I subscribe to Cardi B. I subscribe to Kylie Jenner for content that they create. So when I ask people how many, you know, I, I just asked this earlier, like how many, I ask people all the time, do you have Netflix? And they go, yeah. And I go, how many shows do you watch on Netflix? And they go like one or two, right? Mm -hmm. Me too. Mm -hmm. I watch Dave Chappelle's comedy special 
and I watched Kanye West documentary in the last year, two years. So I was like, why can't I just Not subscribe? Ozark? Huh? No. And Ozark's a great show. <laughs> but why can't I just subscribe directly to Dave Chappelle and Kanye West? Why do I have to pay for all this other stuff that I don't want, especially inside of a social network that gives you the capability mm-hmm. of a Netflix? Especially when Chappelle's taking so much crap for what he's done on Netflix. Yeah. It'd be nice to be able to just do it directly and do not it. have to say, Mother, may I please stay on Netflix? Well, I think I think microcasting is going to be it's going to be bigger than narrow casting ever was. It's going to be bigger than Disney Plus, Hulu, because there's 6.3 billion people on the planet with a smartphone. There's only 425 people that are using video on demand services, right? So it's like 3% of the market, the available market, right? What's the guy's name on TikTok? Kwame. He's like one of the first. Oh, Kabi, Kabi Lime. Yeah, yeah, that's his name. Yeah. 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 yeah so I he, just read an article, and probably everybody did because, you know, social media funnels us the news. In Absolutely. similar ways. But I read an article about how he's now making about $750,000 a post. Yeah. but and, and that's cool, but it's going to be way bigger. Microcasting is going to be bigger. So I, so, so what but I he's t- a perfect example of microcasting, right? He just started yeah. making content. But, he's, but he doesn't have, but he's not doing it in a subscriber format yet. No, that's right. But, so, but, but he's making the kind of content that you would think of as something you would want subscribers to. Absolutely. And he's making the kind of content people would probably subscribe to. Absolutely. And so, so when I think about, um, let's say, uh, uh, the, the Kylie Jenner, right? I, I'll, use, I'll use a really good example. So here's Kylie Jenner, right? Mm-hmm. So Kylie Jenner has 370 million followers on Instagram. The problem is, is that Instagram does not show her content to 370 million people. Right, agreed. I agree. I don't like that. So, so typically her posts are throttled down, just like Kim's, that they reach like maybe five million, six million people on average. When you get into like, when you get into like short form video, the the millisecond that you watch the video, it's a view, and if you watch it 20 times, it's 20 views. But unique views are entirely different. A unique view is I watch the video one time, after three seconds, no matter how many times I watch it, I watch it. Yeah. So if I take that metric of, if Kim, well, let's do Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian has 328 million followers on social media. Mm-hmm. 100 million people watch the Super Bowl every year. They charge $7 million for a commercial in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if Kim Kardashian could reach 320 million people 24 hours a day, seven days a week by posting, she could charge $21 million for one post. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. yeah. But Instagram knows that. Correct. So they suppress everybody's content because if they did, the brands would come directly to Kim and pay her to post and not run ads on Instagram. Correct. That's what, that's what uh, we used to do in the yeah. early days of social media. Um, I had funded a company that uh, did that. They're called Wild Hair Media. Uh-huh. And they were one of the early people to figure out the algorithms, I mean, or maybe just figure out how to use the systems before their algorithms mm-hmm. to take celebrities and monetize their fan base. Yeah. And they were getting, you know, they were making millions and millions. I think at the peak, they were making a million bucks a month. Yeah. Right. And then, and then Instagram changed their algorithms and eventually they just couldn't do it anymore because they couldn't, they had no predictability. Right. They wanted to, Instagram really wanted to kill the influencer economy, the creator economy, because they wanted that ad revenue. Themselves. So, yeah. So that suppression is what everybody, so when, so fan base, we don't suppress content. Right. If you wind up with 320 million, so what I do at exercise and say, it's like, so 95% of the people that follow you on social media follow you passively. Like yeah. a magazine at the checkout aisle, they're nosy or they're haters. Yeah. That 5% is your fan base. 
So if I take someone like Kim Kardashian and says she has 328 million followers, right? Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, let's take let's take um, 5% of that. Mm-hmm. And that gives you about 18 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. Right? Okay, 16 million people. And so a subscription on fan base is $4.99 a month. The user mm-hmm. winds up taking 50% of that. So that's $2.50. So times $2.50 a month, she winds up making $41 million a month, almost half a, half a billion a year. That's just one person. That's what's available. So that's I mean, I say, theoretically, again, it's, a, it's a, because you do have questions of scale, mm-hmm. but it's, it's yet to be tested. Right. So you're going to make a market. Yeah. And, and it's better what, yeah. and it's better in many ways to own the New York Stock Exchange than just own one stock. Right. Exactly. The marketplace of where people actually monetize the content as opposed to just being the one person that gets that. So having all of that together is where mm-hmm. where I'm at with. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. that's that's the goal is be disruptive. When you think about NIL, mm-hmm. name, image, and likeness, brands. You know, that's why I want to stay away from pornography because I want people to be able to turn themselves into their own Netflix. Yeah, I, I, and the, you know, the, the hard part is, is not, the, the, you never, you're not inviting pornography. The, the hard part is the- Keeping it off. The, yeah, the keeping it off. The policing of what I, people are doing on their individual channels. I don't know. Twitter, Twitter's got so much porn on it. How, I mean, do they, how do they do that? I have no idea. And they still run ads on there. I have no idea. I have no idea why Twitter's just like, they just turn a blind eye like, okay. What I can't figure out is is why are they suppressing the words people put on tr- Twitter? But not the porn. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it must be making I mean, money. I, I, have to, I have to say, in that respect, I'm very on board with what Musk was imagining, mm-hmm. which was Musk was just imagining a free-for-all. Right. Right? And I'm open to that. I, yeah. I think America should be a free-for-all. Yeah. I think sh- people should be completely at liberty to choose whatever life they want. Absolutely. Um, and so that's the difficulty is, is when you get into policing, it just it, it becomes very cumbersome. Right. And, that's, and so that's removing those limitations on users is really what's going to, to change because people are so frustrated at if the algorithm. But if it's behind... If it's behind firewalls basically like pay for firewalls Mm -hmm. and you don't allow any pornographic content on the outside of the firewall Mm -hmm. why wouldn't somebody be allowed to do whatever they want in the privacy of their own firewall because i I still feel like brands would just take offense to that and i want kids like okay so here's here's the here's the here's the the big my big theory and you can just say you agree or you don't agree i believe that every social media platform has a lifespan. It will live and it will die. We just haven't been in social media long enough to see platforms die. It's like Bezos take yeah. on Amazon. He's like, this company will eventually die. Yeah. But to, but not today. But not today. Not on my watch. Right. And so so MySpace is dead, basically. Mm-hmm. Facebook, in my opinion, is a senior citizen. Mm-hmm. Instagram is a middle-aged person. <laughs> Snapchat is a millennial. TikTok is a centennial. <laughs> and I want fan base to be the generation alpha centennial platform. Mm-hmm. Because I don't care what Zuckerberg builds. There's no amount of innovation that Facebook can do to capture kids because kids are always going to want to be on apps that their parents are not on. True. So my mom got on Facebook. I left Facebook. Yeah. That's right. Mignon Hayes has joined Facebook. Peace. (laughs) I'm on on the gram. And I never joined Facebook. Right. And so I have a little brother that doesn't come anywhere near Facebook and definitely and maybe dabbles in Instagram, but I'm there and he's 16. 
So, so he he's like talk, Instagram. Yeah. yeah, he wants to talk to his friends it's for old guys. Right. That's this one. This one. This one investor sent me a a, a a quote from his daughter when they talked about the metaverse. The quote was Meta, Feta, Greta. I don't care what Facebook builds. Because Facebook is where old people go to brag about their grandchildren. <laughs> if that's what a little kid thinks of Facebook, they're not coming near Facebook. Well, Facebook does own Instagram, so what's the next thing they buy, right? I mean, I don't think they can because of the 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 you know the the competition market, the mm, monopoly, mm, antitrust. Yeah, I think if they buy it because they wanted yeah. to break them up. Yeah, if they buy one more thing, they're like, no, nah, yeah. we're gonna split y'all up. I will say I like you know I'm like you I like Instagram I saw it I thought yeah this is really cool actually yeah. the way you can see other your friends lives really quick and it's not like a you know it's just simple easy to use simple scroll visual yeah uh, but it's but I, I tried I remember my kids were starting to use like TikTok TikTok's not that different than Facebook or uh, Instagram it's 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 actually a lot different I'll tell you what the difference is it's the attention span it's short videos yes yes that you continually scroll and then the algorithm on TikTok literally feeds you what you hover over the longest. Yeah. So you watch a video a couple times, they go, maybe he likes pet videos and they'll send you another pet video like 50 Do it videos. Again. Yeah. And then if you sit on that one, they're like, okay, we think we know. And it takes about 30 minutes for the TikTok algorithm to figure out your innermost desires and then you're in the rabbit hole. And then you're in the... <laughs> so, but the, the, the good thing about that is if it's dance videos, yay. But if it's suicidal content, nay. Nay. And then, and, and I had a friend of mine, I was telling her about the algorithm. She was like, no wonder, like I was, I, I was going through a breakup and all I see is breakup videos. Wow. And so I'm just like, I feel so depressed because it's all these videos about ending relationships and sure. life moving on. And, and, and so you have to really focus on that what, too. What I mean is um, TikTok is intuitive Mm-hmm. On some level, the way the Instagram is. Whereas I remember when my kids started talking about Snapchat, mm-hmm. and I downloaded Snapchat, I literally couldn't find. I'm like, I don't understand how this works because it was really designed to hide everything. Yeah. <laughs> it was really designed for you to be able to send disappearing messages to your friends. Yeah, and kind of like sneak around. That's why they had the ghost icon. Like it's there, it's gone. Yeah, you I know. didn't get it, so I was just like, all right, forget yeah. it. Like my kids can have Snapchat, <laughs> and they, but they love that yeah. because you're not there. You're not there. It's like they get they get, they're on Roblox and they're on Discord and they're on all these platforms. And the and the and the universe, the social media multiverse, is big enough for all of us to have a piece of the pie. Right. It's just I don't think that Facebook is going to be king of the mountain for much longer. Okay, so tell me, um, what do you imagine the next? Two years looking like for fan base. Massive, I, some sort of viral moment. Every every social media platform has this viral moment yeah. that changes everything, everything about the platform. That's right. Like like I was on Twitter, mm. and in 2007, and nobody was on Twitter. That's I right. I was bored. My publisher said, "Get on Twitter. It's going to be the the next thing." And I was on there, and I was like, "There's nobody here." I would tweet, I would get no response, no reaction. Right. And then I came back about two years later, like the beginning of 2010, and I said, okay, there's people here, but it took two years. And then Michael Jackson died, and then everybody was posting about it on Twitter. That's where people were posting the crime scene photos, and when he came, when they rolled him out and all this stuff, and then Twitter blew up. And those are the things that you can't foresee, that there'll be, like it's the same thing with Clubhouse. It was the pandemic, we were all inside, then they had these viral moments, and then everybody rushes to the platform. So what we think about is just being prepared for that, but I think when when microcasting 
becomes like the 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 gold rush of mm-hmm. where everybody's trying to do it. I think that's the massive growth that I see for fan base. Like Series A is definitely within our two year we're in our two year window. It's yeah, in, that's in, exciting. Probably in our in our next seven month window because people are calling about fan base and, and wanting to to you know get in on Series A. So that's that's what I imagine massive growth and then total disruption. I want to disrupt everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, want to, I want to shake it up. I love it. What uh, what kind of top line revenue growth do you think you need to get to Series A? Or, or top line revenue number do you think you need to get to a Series A? I don't, I mean, well, so most social media platforms, I've had some, I had a VC tell me something one time and I was like, okay, I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but what you just told me is a lie. They were like, we typically don't invest in companies that don't have 5 million ARR. And I'm like, and you're saying social media platforms. And I'm like, well, let me tell you this. Five million ARR being annual revenue rates. Yeah. So annual recurring revenue. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so Facebook didn't have five million ARR in the first two years. Instagram did it. Snapchat Snapchat didn't. TikTok didn't. Nobody Clubhouse doesn't have it. So that's just a way of trying to say no, another way of telling you no. Mm-hmm. So social media is about users. Like users is the value of the platform. No users, no platform, no value. Well, it's like Twitter forever had no idea how to monetize itself. Twitter's, Twitter is the only, I think the only social media platform that is immortal. I think Twitter will always be here. Hmm. I don't think it'll ever leave. And the reason What makes by, you say that? Because most so, social media platforms are defined by the generation that make them relevant. Right. right. The culture, the mood, like yeah. there, there's, a, there's a Facebook generation and all that. Twitter is defined by what's happening right now. Who won the game? Mm. Who cheated on their wife? Mm. What is Vladimir Putin doing? It's, it's defined, a news platform. It's, de- yeah, it's defined by it's real time. So it's, it's like, I always call it like, like it's, a, it's, the, it's the tech version of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? That's why hip hop is so immortal because it's not country rock or whatever. It's defined by what's happening like the guy that the guy that cheated on Nia Long, like the like I'm a Odoku, just cheated on Nia Long for the Boston Celtics. That's going to be in a rap record in the next two weeks, right? And so it's just people are able to take real culture moments and put them in real time into art. So I'm not totally versed in all these things, but explain to me what Black Twitter is. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the phrase Black Twitter. I said, "What does that even mean?" So. Black Twitter is basically this, the, the so 25% of Twitter users are African-American in the country. So there's a huge, huge block, huge block, of bigger, bigger representation than the general population. Right. There's two things that I know that run Twitter, wrestling and black people, like anything <laughs> that like the W, like uh, literally, like I know I was like, wrestling must be really big because Monday Night Raw, that shit trends like, like sports, wrestling. And black culture are always just floating at the top of Twitter. Got it. And so black Twitter is just a, a subset of Twitter users that define the culture and the comedy on the platform. Uh, they just define like the, they, there's always a joke. Like there's always something funny. There's always something that if somebody does anything appropriate, black Twitter will show up and I don't care what ratio of black, white, and different, they'll show up to say, okay, you're, you're, you're in trouble with black Twitter. So black Twitter was on I'm a Odoku like, who cheats on Nia Long? Like, you're an idiot. You know, stuff like that. Like, why would you do that? So Black Twitter was like, like, he was trending number one on Twitter. And I knew that. I said, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna get his ass. Like, he's in trouble. Like, <laughs> you don't cheat on Nia Long. What are you doing? She's like the nicest woman ever. And mm-hmm. you wilding out 
you know, all in Boston or whatever, doing it's just crazy. So that's that's just what Black Twitter is. But but one thing that Black Twitter says is Black Twitter really isn't a thing. It's just Twitter. Just but Twitter. When, but but who started do, calling it Black Twitter? I mean, Black people did because th- what I what I say is there is a a disproportionate amount of economic uh, uh, equity in social media because Black culture is what defines social media. Black culture is culture. Right. Right. And so I, I say, like, that moves the needle. So in our community, we give all of our, and this, is, this is, and this is a real conversation. When I went to Patreon and I studied Patreon, most of the users on Patreon are white because white, the white community puts a value on something the moment that they create it. Yes. I built this show. I built this whatever, this, this music or whatever. I do that. In our community, black culture innovates so fast that we build things and then set them down and move on to something else. And what you don't realize is you built an industry. You built like an infrastructure. What I tell people all the time is like the first time that, and I had the honor of speaking with him on FaceTime about a week and a half ago was Grandmaster Flash. I said the first time that Grandmaster Flash took two turntables and a mixer and made a loop, someone should have pulled him to the side and said, do not show anybody what you just showed me. (laughs) Let's go figure out how to make turntables and mixers because Anybody that's going to do that is going to need this. So fast forward, Pioneer, Technique, Serato, they own DJ culture, not Grandmaster Flash. We should all be, every DJ should be on the Flash 5000, whatever, and he should be a multi-billionaire. Right. But he, he created an infrastructure. So in social media, black culture creates this economy, but they don't own the infrastructure. So fan base is an opportunity for mm-hmm. everybody to make some money. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. Black, white, white, I don't care who the most famous person is on fan base. Yeah. As long as the playing field is level for everybody to monetize. That's the key. I mean, you want playing level playing fields everywhere. Yeah. You just don't, you know, I mean, my, my TikTok, TikTok intentionally suppresses black creators. Like, Kabi is the exception, but not the rule. For many, many years, like, even the last two or three years, there were no black women in the top 100 TikTok creators. No black women at all. And then, of the black men, like, Eight out of ten of them were famous. So Cobby's there, but the other eight were like Kevin Hart, The Rock, Will Smith, Jason Derulo, King Batch. Yeah. They're just like, oh, so, but everybody else is just normal kids that are these ultra, Charlie D'Amelio, Dixie, you know what I'm saying, Addison Ray, like all these people that are these ultra famous people. And what Do you I think re- it's in the AI? It's in the fact that since TikTok is an is a ad-based platform that is kind of like one channel, the larger section of users are going to be white or the eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So they need famous white creators to run ads so that white eyeballs see white ads and they make more revenue. Mm. You could take every fame, you could take every popular black show that's on television and put it on one network. It's still not going to get the, the amount of ad revenue that white networks are going to get. So it's about the monetization of ads. But that's all about eyeballs, right? Right. So what I'm saying is when you so when you remove the that when you remove the limitation of it's not about ads, it's it's a it's all I want is a piece of the rev- revenue of your subscription. Yes, then it doesn't matter. I don't have to suppress your content. Yeah, no, you don't. I don't yeah. have to manipulate the algorithm to to increase my profits. Right, that's right. It's just do. do yeah, you just you just you create America. Yeah, you you just get a piece of all everybody's decisions in America or in in the whole world. But what I mean by is you create America is you create a level playing field where you don't manipulate the outcomes. You just let the outcomes manifest through people's actions. Right. And that, and that's the future. 
That's the that's the the multi-trillion dollar. Like the subscription economy is going to go from 650 billion now to 1.5 trillion by 2025. Well, listen, I mean that's the that's the big future question for all of the United States, which is if we can maintain ourselves as a as a platform that you just described, right as a country mm-hmm. where people's actions determine their destiny. Mm-hmm. Then we're in a much much better place. Absolutely. I think so. I mean, so fan bases, fan base, you know, this little this little F with the lightning bolt. Mm-hmm, which is a cool logo. Yeah, every it's a it's a conversation piece. It's it's really my my idea is to energize your fan base. Mm. So that's what the F and the lightning bolt comes from. So that, but um uh I think that's going to be the, the the next logo that you see on the app store that's like, okay, when you see it number one, I'm like, I remember this. This guy built this because everybody's everybody's doing subscriptions now. Well then people will come back and 10 million people will listen to this podcast mm-hmm. because fan base will be so gigantic and you'll be so gigantic and it's just the way it goes. That's why, you know, the beauty of entertainment is you, you capture the moment yes, and then all of culture evolves. And then people get to go back and remember that, you know, he said this or this, this was a moment, you know, like Kanye had to go back and say sway actually had the answers. It was a big quote that Kanye used to say like when he was trying to build Yeezy. Yeah. He's like, you don't have the answers, Sway. And it turns out that Sway had the answers, which is you have to own your infrastructure. Yeah. Kanye's, Kanye is realizing that he is the culture of the platform without owning the infrastructure. You can't call the shots. Correct. And I always, I always find it interesting that people want power. You can't, you can't, people want wealth and power, but you can't have both unless you own the infrastructure. Correct. So if you're not if you're not doing it like Tyler Perry, that's why Tyler like the, the model should be Tyler. Listen, Tyler doesn't own the infrastructure. Well, he owns. Here's the thing: he owns he owns his IP. He owns his IP. So he moves it where he. I've seen him move it from correct from TBS to correct. Lionsgate to own to now BET Plus. Correct. And he does that, and then and so he's self-contained in the sense of saying now he built a movie studio. So it, and and now so if he wants to make a movie, which is a de minimis part of his wealth, right. So if he wants to make a movie, he goes in his pocket, writes a check, That's he right. films it on his own movie studio, and he puts it out on BET Plus, which he owns half of. Oh, he owns half of BET Plus? Okay, then he is he does own the infrastructure. Yeah, that it was a two hundred million dollar deal and he owns half of BET Plus. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. So that, he, 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 he he's, the, he's the entire ecosystem right. of he, his world. Owns, exactly. It's just like and so so they're like, well, where do we get in? Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to give to everybody. That's right. Where can, if, if if all of us are our own ecosystems where we control our own content, then where do we get in here? Where is everybody to take advantage of you? You're not. You're self-contained. So I think it's, it's great. About, it's all about leverage. Isaac, you're on to something. I think it's going to be big. Yeah. You just got to have that moment. You're looking for that 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 critical cultural moment where fan base becomes known to everyone. And then it's and then it's off to the races. Then you'll never see me again. Like I'll just be a guy that barely comes outside. It's, it's different being like a tech founder in Atlanta. I can't go. I won't go anywhere. I don't go anywhere now. That's what everybody tells me. Like when this shit blows up, you can't go anywhere. Hundred percent. You're you're not you're gonna be a, like just at the house all the time chilling because everybody's gonna just go crazy. And it was like, yeah. Well, the good news is you'll be able to afford to build your own little village. Yeah. You have your own chef. A- absolutely. Your own drivers. Yeah. So you'll have an entire staff. You're gonna need a castle to house all these people and yeah, keep them safe. Somewhere in Buckhead. Somewhere in my lots of guards, because everybody's like, "You're disrupting too much stuff." Like, you know, you're the like the the Rock has three hundred million followers on on Instagram. If he if five percent of those people subscribe to him, he'd make 
over half a billion a year, which tells me he could take $100 million and shoot his own movie and put it on his fan base page. Exactly right. So he's like, I don't have to put my movies on, movies on Netflix. I put them on my fan base page. Exactly right. fan base plus, which is that vertical, we're going to have our app just like Netflix, and yeah. we're going to make original programming, but it's all going to be connected to a social network. So I can DM you the show. If somebody could DM you Ozark or DM you network programming. I love that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, we, oh. We've been working on some stuff like that too. I think I think that's the future. I think being able to share all that stuff yeah. is hugely important. That information, being able to disseminate that information in real time and then yeah. pay for it at yeah. the click of a button. Yeah, agreed. That impulse purchase is going to be what it is. So every so everybody should invest in fan base. Yeah. <laughs> so again, like you can you can invest in fan base. We, we, we where is that? Where if people want to invest in fan base, where is the? Um... It's on start. So it's startengine.com slash fan base. We've almost raised a hundred thousand. I mean, I'm so you people. I'm taking raising money for granted. Yeah. Because people are like, it's hard to raise money. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, I know it is, but at the same time, I just I know that giving people the opportunity to raise. So we're almost at a hundred thousand raised. So I've previously raised five point seven million. million. So now we're about a hundred thousand. But the minimum to invest is two hundred forty four bucks. That's unbelievable. So it's like the price of a pair of tennis shoes or yeah. a steak dinner. It's like, That's okay, right. why don't I just put that into some stock? Yeah. And then eight years from now, when this thing goes public or, or we exit or something, I was like, I made how much? Yeah. Like, yeah, you forgot about that, but. Right. Own a part of the platforms you use. Yeah, eighty-five million sounds like a big number until it becomes worth billions. Yeah, until and billions. it's hundred billion. Like, like yeah. Facebook's market cap at one point was nine hundred billion. That's before right. Mike Zuckerberg lost like forty-seven percent of his wealth. Yeah, that's but, right. But ByteDance is worth like three hundred billion, and they're a privately held company. Sanity. These social networks are huge. Like, well, they're massively scalable. When they yeah. get that, when they get all that momentum you're talking about, yeah, and they catch their you know cultural moment and you know lightning in a bottle. And then it's just like, and it's it's a downhill thing. So the amount of money that I feel like people are going to be making, it's, and the world is not going to be very kind to like the the, the average person that works. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I seen a guy take a car from from Trader Joe's to Bank of America, and there was no driver. You know what I'm saying? So that's crazy to me. You know what I'm saying? There's like, you know, like what what's going to happen when there's when when freight when when truck drivers are no longer needed because there's you know. Yeah, autonomous mm-hmm. and trains and you're going to walk into Steak and Shake and there's going to be no cashiers. There's going to be mm-hmm. kiosks. And so what I love about fan base is fan base gives the ability for every person on the planet to turn themselves into a business with just a phone. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's, that, that, that does it. It's like I'm going to... But it's a meritocracy. Myself. Yeah. And, and when you think about, like I tell people, do you want a million followers or do you want a million dollars? I know people with one, two, three million followers that aren't making any money. That's right. right? But 50,000 people paying you $2.50 a month is $125,000 a month, $1.5 million a year. Even if I shrink that down to 5,000 people, that's $150,000 a year, which is more than 97% of Americans make anyway. Correct. So it's like all you need is 5,000 people give you $2.50 a month, and you're making $150,000 a year. That's not hard. Yeah, I agree. Just got to focus. Isaac, we're out of time, but you are doing cool things, and I can't wait to see what happens not only to fan base, but uh, you know, in your life and and what you do in Atlanta here. Oh yeah, you become a billionaire, you're going to do really fascinating things here in town. You know what? That's and that's one of the things that I tell people. I, it sounds selfish, but I was like, when I'm a billionaire, I'm only going to spend my money in Atlanta. I'm only going to invest in this city. It's great. That's I'm what we need to do really cool things. And just build things and and work with people and you know do that because I'll say this briefly, like it's 
Facebook made $115 billion in ad revenue last year, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that black culture is overwhelmingly the, a contributor to Instagram and Facebook's success. Mm -hmm. Now I say, now go ask Facebook to put $5 billion in the hood. See what they tell you. Yeah. They're not. That's and, and and so so to be able to take that type of wealth through social media and be able to build, you know, coding centers and, and places where kids can create content or do scholarships, I mean billions and billions of dollars, like, you know, because everybody made all these promises during COVID that we're gonna invest in the black community and then like no, nobody holds up and says, Well, where's the money? Where what did you do with it? Well, the other problem is and I thought actually when I talked to TI about some of these things, I thought he had some really insightful notions, which is even if they want to spend the money, how would they know where to spend it or how to spend it or what, who to spend well, it on? Because right? they're culturally disconnected from that community. Well, That's the point is that you spend money like an entrepreneur in places that you understand. Right. Yeah. And typically what they do is just give it to like the United Negro College for the NAACP, yeah. Red Cross or whatever. And then they That's don't not make and they're not make they're not I'm not I'm not saying that they don't do things that make a difference, but it's not like I can put five billion into an underserved community and build schools and Correct. and and, and you transform yeah. and tra yeah, just transform through development. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we gotta we gotta wrap this up, but um what an awesome time. I can't wait to do a second one of these. We should do one of these like every six months. Cool. Because I would love to uh, track the progress of this. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well then. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been the Black Hall Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>